This week saw the culmination of one of the biggest trials of the century. Three cases taken around the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel in 2016. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Hello and welcome to the podcast, nearly the one year anniversary of the first episode of Let Me Explain, which is a little bit hard to believe, a bit more on that next week. We've had a few great episodes out over the last few weeks, including the Dummies Guide to the Good Friday Agreement, which is available now and scroll back on the show page, especially important this week with the great and the good descending on Belfast to mark 25 years. This week, though, there's really only been one story dominating all the airwaves, the special criminal court case against Jerry the Monk Hutch. It's a five o'clock good evening. Jerry Hutch has been found not guilty of the murder of David Byrne. The prosecution had claimed he was one of two gunmen who shot the Kinahan associate at a boxing event at the Regency Hotel in Dublin in February 2016. The Regency shooting was one of the most high-profile gangland events in the history of the state. On the 5th of February 2016, a boxing weigh-in was happening at the Regency Hotel in Whitehall in Dublin, including some fighters managed by Daniel Kinnan. A hit team descended on the hotel with AK-47. Some of them dressed up as armed guardie, one dressed up as a woman. They opened fire at the event, killing Kinnan cartel member David Byrne, but Daniel Kinnan, who had suspected was the real target, escaped. That led to an all-out gang war between the Hutches and the Kinnans over the next few years, which left 18 people dead, many of those shootings happening in Dublin city centre. Jared Hutch was arrested in Spain in 2021 and extradited to Ireland to face trial. That trial is now finished and News Talks Court's correspondent Frank Graney was in court for every minute of it. He joins me now. Frank, Jerry Hutch has been acquitted here, but he wasn't standing trial alone. Yeah, and I suppose it might be a good starting place to start with the two men who were convicted for their roles in what happened at the Regency Hotel back in February of 2016 because that's precisely where the presiding judge, Ms Justice Tara Burns, began uh, her ruling, a lengthy ruling. It took over four hours to deliver it before the special criminal court. So aside from Jerry Hutch, there were two men on trial uh, before the special criminal court. Paul Murphy, um, who has an address in Cherry Avenue in Swords in Dublin, and Jason Bonney of Drumney Wood in Port Marnock, uh, also in Dublin. And they stood trial um, uh, accused of the same offence of facilitating the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel through the provision of getaway vehicles. So in a nutshell, they were accused of assisting members of the hit team um, making good their escape after the attack at uh, the Regency Hotel. Paul Murphy was a taxi driver. His uh, Toyota uh, Avensis taxi was used uh, in the getaway, but he raised concerns or raised issues in relation to the identification of his taxi in CCTV footage, which proved crucial in, uh, in in getting the conviction across the line in relation to the case against him. We were shown a compilation of footage that must have taken some time for the Gardaí to put together, and it showed the movement of a convoy of vehicles, including the um, Ford Transit van that carried um, a number of members of the hit team to the Regency Hotel that day. Paul Murphy's taxi was um, accused of being part of that convoy, but he denied that. He raised issues about the identification of the taxi in that footage, as I say. And there were also some taxi receipts found in his taxi. And the timestamps on those taxi receipts suggested that he was actually on various jobs in other parts of Dublin City 
at relevant times to the attack at the Regency Hotel. They were essentially providing him with an alibi, but the prosecution claimed that was a falsified alibi, that those taxi receipts had been manufactured to make it look like he was in different parts of the city, when in reality, he was waiting in a car park outside St. Vincent's GAA Club, which is not far from the Regency Hotel. And that is where the getaway vehicles were parked up. That's where they picked up members of the attack team and took them away from the scene. The court rejected uh, Paul Murphy's defence. They found him guilty of that offence. Jason Bonney then was accused of using his black BMW X5 Jeep to take one of the known members of the hit team, Kevin Flackcap Murray, a known dissident Republican who has since uh, passed away. There is CCTV footage that showed him clearly getting into the black BMW Jeep. Now, in his defence, Jason Bonney tried to blame his dead father. He said that his late father, William Bonney, was actually the one driving the vehicle that day. The prosecution called a rebuttal witness. Um, Interestingly, they called his brother-in-law, a man married to his sister, uh, the late William Bonney's uh, son-in-law, gave evidence of having lunch with William that day, a long lunch on the afternoon of the 5th of February uh, 2016. He said there was no way that William Bonney could have been driving the Jeep that day. No way he was in a position to drive Flat Cap Murray away from the scene. The court did not believe Jason Bonney's uh, version of events. They actually criticised him for trying to implicate his dead father. And both of those men were found uh, guilty of the offences they uh, were charged with. They um, appeared on bail before the courthouse for uh, the verdicts. They were on bail throughout the entire process, but they were remanded in custody after they were found guilty and their sentence hearing has been scheduled for the 8th of May. The maximum penalty available to the court uh, on conviction of that particular offence that they were both found guilty of is five years in prison. And we should say as well, Frank, I suppose that for people who maybe aren't aware or aren't following it all the time, the Special Criminal Court is a juryless court. It is one that is uh, has the judge presiding over it and ge- delivering the judgments. In the end, it was a court that was set up specifically to deal with gangland and also with paramilitary activities uh, in the past and has to be renewed every year as well through the offences against the State mm-hmm. Act. To move on then to the, the man who wasn't uh, found guilty in all of this, and that was Jerry the Monk Hutch. Specifically, uh, what was he accused of? The specific allegation against Jerry Hutch was that he was one of a team of armed men who stormed the Regency Hotel while a boxing weigh-in was taking place at the hotel on the afternoon of the 5th of February 2016, that he was dressed in tactical gear, armed with an AK-47, and more specifically than that, that he was one of two gunmen who shot David Byrne, a 33-year-old known associate of the Kinning Cartel, that he was one of two gunmen who shot him dead in the reception area of the hotel That was the specific allegation levelled against him on day one of the trial uh, back in October. And it was interesting when the presiding judge, Ms. Justice Burns, uh, began the court's ruling or delivering the court's ruling specifically in relation to Jerry Hutch, because she started by pointing out what the state's case was against him. And also, and arguably more importantly, she began by saying what the state's case was not uh, in relation to uh, Jerry Hutch. She said that the the state hadn't put forward the case that he was directing proceedings from afar, that he was pulling the strings from outside the Regency Hotel. She said the case that the prosecution had put forward was that he was in the foyer, again dressed in that tactical gear, armed with an AK-47, and that he was one of two men who pulled the trigger that ultimately claimed the life of David Byrne. 
Jerry Hodge has been linked to serious crime in Ireland for decades. However, he's protested his innocence on a number of occasions, including in this interview with RTE's Primetime in 2008. For the last 10, 15 years, no matter who is shot in Dublin, or who does a robbery, or who is stealing drugs, they throw my photograph in right beside them all the time. They make it out that uh, Jerry Hodge, the, the boss of crime, and if they put me in with a photograph of people, who was shot and they're saying I'm the boss of crime. It makes me look like that when the leader of this pack and all that type of stuff, which is totally untrue. And to go through to some of the case, then maybe the state hung an awful lot of its case uh, against Jerry Hutch on the evidence of, of one particular witness, Jonathan Dowdall. Precisely. I mean, Jonathan Dowdall was himself due to stand trial for the murder of David Byrne. But as we all know, at this stage, at the 11th hour, he pleaded guilty to a lesser offence. He admitted um, assisting his father in the booking of a hotel room at the Regency that was later used by one of the uh, hitmen. Uh, Kevin Murray used that room. Jonathan Dowdall, the murder charge against him was dropped. And I suppose he loomed large over proceedings from the get-go because... Everybody was very interested in what Jonathan Dowdall had to say. Um, you know, Ms. Justice Burns and her uh, ruling on behalf of the court wondered what the case would have looked like if Jonathan Dowdall hadn't agreed to testify at the 11th hour. Because let's not forget that long before Jonathan Dowdall um, turned state witness and the murder charge against him was dropped, Jerry Hutch was already due to stand trial for the murder of David Byrne. But the case that the prosecution ran in the end was based essentially on the testimony of Jonathan Dowdall, a former Sinn Féin counsellor. Jonathan Dowdall claimed that he met, at the request of Jerry Hutch, he claimed that they met in a park in Whitehall in Dublin. A few days after the attack at the Regency Hotel, he described Jerry Hutch being agitated. He said that he'd never seen him like that. He said he seemed to be in a bit of a panic and he was looking for his assistance in bringing an end to the gangland feud with the Kinnahans. He wanted Jonathan Dowdall to reach out to his Republican contacts in the North in an effort to, I suppose, broker some sort of a peaceful uh, ceasefire with the rival gang. And he claimed significantly, he claimed that during that meeting, Jerry Hutch confessed his direct involvement in the murder of David Byrne. That was strongly denied by Jerry Hutch. He also made another very serious allegation in relation to Jerry Hutch. He claimed that the night before the shooting, he... Uh, Jonathan Dowdall, that is, and his father, Patrick Dowdall, met uh, Jerry Hutch at the request of Jerry's older brother, Patsy, that they met at a location on the Richmond Road in Dublin's north inner city and that they handed over that key card that was later used by Kevin Flatcap Murray. Again, that was an allegation flatly denied by Jerry Hutch. Jonathan Dowdall didn't give his evidence. He didn't testify until quite late in proceedings. This was a long trial. It went on for 52 days and Jonathan Dowdall didn't take the stand until just before Christmas. And I think it is fair to say his credibility, his reliability, his story was torn to shreds by Jerry Hutch's barrister, Brendan Gren, under cross-examination. And in his closing address then, um, early in the new year, Brendan Graham said to the judges that the case against his client, Jerry Hutch, essentially stood or fell based on the testimony of Jonathan Dowdall and whether or not the court believed what he had to say. And in the end, that's what it came down to. And the judges were not satisfied uh, to rely on the testimony of Jonathan Dowdall alone for lots of reasons. 
the two big ones were the fact that he was already an accomplice. You know, he had accepted that he was involved in facilitating what happened to David Byrne on the day in question. Also, the fact that he is a possible entrant into the state's witness protection program. The fact that he has a very serious conviction, previous conviction for false imprisonment. He tortured a man in the garage of his home on the Navin Road about a year before the attack at the Regency. The judges described what he did to this man and we saw CCTV footage of it or uh, camera footage of it uh, during a previous sentence hearing. It was described as truly appalling, shocking, disturbing, a brutal assault, menacing. He's also a proven liar. Jonathan Dowdall is a self-confessed liar. We know that he perjured himself in relation to separate proceedings before the Special Criminal Court a number of years ago. And the court had to decide I suppose who they were actually dealing with when it came to Jonathan Dowdall because they saw many versions of him. The successful businessman, the former public representative. He was, of course, a former Sinn Féin councillor on Dublin City Council and also a very serious and dangerous criminal. And the judges felt there was a significant question mark over his character, over his reliability. And the court simply had to approach what he said about Jerry Hutch with extreme care. In the end, they were not happy to rely on his testimony alone. So what they did next was... They looked to the rest of the case to see if there was any other independent evidence that could potentially support or corroborate what Jonathan Dowdall had said from the witness box just before Christmas. And in the end, they couldn't. There was nothing to support what he was saying. So to convict Jerry Hutch, they would have had to blindly believe what Jonathan Dowdall told them in the box because there was nothing else to stand up what he said. And there was even phone analysis uh, presented at the court at the end of the trial, which didn't support... Jonathan Dowdall's account of when that meeting was supposed to have taken place. Jonathan Dowdall initially said that it happened on the Monday morning after the attack at the Regency Hotel. The attack at the Regency Hotel took place on a Friday afternoon. He claimed he met with Jerry Hutch sometime between 11 and half past 11 on the morning of the Monday. The phone analysis didn't support that because his phone wasn't pinging off any mass in that area uh, on the Monday. Jonathan Dowdall said that maybe got the days mixed up. Fair enough. He said maybe it was the Sunday. He wasn't too sure. So they took a look at his phone records for the Sunday. And lo and behold, his phone was pinging off a mast in the Whitehall area, but not until after three o'clock in the afternoon and only briefly. And it seemed to be moving, suggesting that he was perhaps in a vehicle. He certainly didn't meet him that morning, according to the phone analysis. So that phone analysis did not support his claim. There was nothing to suggest that Jerry Hutch was in the Whitehall area at the time. No phones linked to him. Uh, were present the court as evidence putting him uh, in that location as alleged by Jonathan Dowdall and you know in the end the judges simply weren't able to rely on his evidence and they felt the case that was presented against Jerry Hutch i.e. that he was one of the hitmen was not proven beyond a reasonable doubt by the prosecution uh, Jonathan Dowdall kind of a, a, a you know really fascinating but also very problematic witness and this is it's rare that our two jobs collide within news talk but this is one of the cases where it did obviously you were in the courts covering the particular case whereas the Jonathan Dowdle Sinn Féin connection very much spilled over into the politics <laughs> the evidence to show a clear and ongoing link an overlap between Republican paramilitaries and organised criminal gangs uh, these are similar people who commit similar crimes it was always thus uh, they are not worlds apart. In fact, they inhabit the same netherworld, in my view. Uh, it does show that the Supreme Court, uh, Supreme, that the Special Criminal Court works. Um, by the way, I don't think for a second uh, that uh, Sinn Féin is in any way responsible uh, for John Dowdle's actions. Uh, I know it can be difficult to vet candidates, and I don't believe in guilt by association. Um, but I do believe that we wouldn't have had many of the convictions that Deputy Kyo 
uh, recounted were it not for the Special Criminal Court. And I do want to call on Sinn Féin uh, and call on the leader of Sinn Féin in particular uh, to affirm that they will vote for the renewal of the Special Criminal Court in June. Mary Lou MacDonald issued a, a statement in relation to her connections to Jonathan Dowdle saying, and I'm quoting, that uh, it is uh, that there was false and deeply offensive comments made about me during the course of this trial. She said she wanted to set out the facts. She said she never met Jerry Hutch, never received money or electoral support from Jerry Hutch. And the record shows that I've stood resolutely on the side of the community in the fight against criminal uh, gangs. Jonathan Dowdle should never have been a member of Sinn Féin. Had I known what he would become involved in, he would not have been a party member for one minute, never mind running for public office. I would not tolerate that end quote. And it's still spinning into some of the political reaction. But just to go back to the court case, it does seem sort of remarkable, Frank. And as you mentioned, this case was, was put down before they got Dowdle as a witness that they would hang so much of it on him alone when he is as problematic as we've discussed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember sitting in that packed courtroom on the opening day of the trial back in October now when the prosecuting barrister Sean Galland took to his feet and gave the judges a broad strokes outline of the case that he intended to present over the coming months. And at that point, clearly we knew that Jerry Hutch was on trial for murder. Um, we also knew that Jonathan Dowdall had agreed to testify against him. But what we didn't know when Sean Galland took to his feet that day was what the specific allegation against Jerry Hutch was going to be and what, what exactly Jonathan Dowdall was bringing to proceedings or was at least promising to bring to proceedings. We got that on the opening day of the trial and I must say I was taken aback when Mr Galland said that the state's case was that Jerry Hutch was one of the hitmen and that Jonathan Dowdall was going to give evidence to that effect. That flabbergasted me, that floored me because I never thought for one second that Jerry Hutch, who is widely believed to be the head of the Hutch uh, gang. Um, we never believed for one second that he was actually going to be in the foyer of the Regency Hotel, dressed in tactical gear, armed with an AK-47, firing shots at a known Kinahan associate. You know, we all suspected, and quite naively looking back, that the case that was going to be put forward by the prosecution was perhaps going to be that he was directing proceedings from afar, that he was pulling the strings from a location outside the Regency Hotel, but as Miss Justice Byrne said yesterday, or said in her, um, as Miss Justice Byrne said in her ruling before the Special Criminal Court, the case put forward by the prosecution was very different. They actually put him there. They were suggesting that he was actually present and that he was actually one of the shooters. And the evidence simply wasn't there. You know, the prosecution decided to run its case a certain way. But having sat through all of the evidence, 52 days of it, having listened to everything that Jonathan Dowdall had to say, both in his direct um, examination and also in his in his cross-examination, having listened to every second of a 10-hour secretly recorded conversation between Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hodge as they travelled to and from Northern Ireland a couple of weeks after the shooting. There was nothing, in my mind, in my opinion, that supported Jonathan Dowdall's version of events that Jerry Hodge had made this gushing confession to him in that park in Whitehall. So it was absolutely uh, the correct verdict in the end. The evidence simply wasn't there. Do we have any idea why they didn't try to put another offence in there in the on the charge sheet rather than just going for the one of murder that maybe if you can't prove murder, you can't get that sort of high bar. Uh, one of the other ones that you've talked about there being involved in the organisation, which the court in, in its ruling did suggest there was evidence to support. Do we have any idea why the state didn't go that route? 
No, we don't. I mean, all we can do is speculate and that in itself is is quite dangerous. There, There is, I suppose, um, some talk about the fact that he was extradited from Spain on a specific charge, that um, he was wanted back in Ireland to face a murder charge and that that's perhaps why there were no further charges added to the indictment. Again, that's just speculation. That's just chat after the fact. Um, they certainly didn't attach anything to the indictment. He stood trial on that murder charge and that murder charge alone and he was acquitted of it. The court was satisfied that um, on the back of listening to that secretly recorded conversation between Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch, the court was satisfied that he had uh, control and authority over the three AK-47s that were used in the attack that day. Um, That was, as far as the court was concerned, uh, beyond doubt because Jerry Hutch could be heard Uh, in that conversation with Jonathan Dowdall, talking about what to do with the guns. He wanted to give them to Jonathan Dowdall's contacts in the North as um, um, a potential gift or as a means to perhaps get them involved in in brokering that peace deal uh, with uh, the Kinnahans. But as Jerry Hutch's barrister pointed out in his closing address, Brendan Gran was emphatic when he said, that while there's all this chatter about the three oaks as they describe them, widely accepted that they were talking about the three AK-47s when they were talking about the three oaks. And as Brendan Graham said in his closing address, his client wasn't on trial for firearms offences, that just because it may be suggested that he had control or authority over the weapons used in the Regency attack, that doesn't mean that he had control or authority over them on the day of the shooting. That doesn't mean that he was holding one of them that he pointed one of them at David Byrne and that he pointed the trigger and fired some of the shots that fatally wounded him on that afternoon. So it's, I, I guess you'd have to ask the director of public prosecutions or some of the lead investigators why those charges weren't brought. Perhaps they felt that they didn't have enough evidence to get it across the line. And certainly when the DPP is considering whether to bring prosecutions, they will only do so if they think that they have a reasonably good chance of getting a conviction across the line. Uh, clearly, she did feel that there was enough uh, on Jerry Hutch to get the murder charge across the line on that specific route they took. But they were hanging an awful lot of their faith on the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall. It's not to say that he let them down, but simply he wasn't believed and there was no other evidence um, outside of his testimony that supported the case put forward uh, by the prosecution. A lot of speculation also as to whether new charges could be brought against uh, Jerry Hutch. A lot of people wondering if he was acquitted of the murder charge, could he potentially be rearrested and charged with new offences, potentially conspiracy to murder? I don't think he could be charged with conspiracy to murder because of the fact that it is so similar to the charge that he was acquitted of. Obviously, double jeopardy then uh, comes into play. Um, whether or not there's enough evidence to potentially charge him for firearms offences, again, that's not for, for me to speculate on. But as it stands, Jerry Hutch isn't facing any criminal charges. He's a free man. He was acquitted and cleared of that murder charge, free to come and go as he please. And a lot of people will be wondering now whether he will stay in his hometown of Dublin, because let's not forget that while the spark has been taken out of the feud between the Kinnahans and the Hutches over the years, and that's thanks in large part to the work of Angarda Shiakona over the years, it still hasn't gone away. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of something that Jerry Hutch said in that recorded conversation with Jonathan Dowdall when they were talking about reports that there was a one million euro bounty on the head of a Jerry Hutch. And he was laughing, describing himself as the million dollar man. But the reality is, if, as suggested by the Special Criminal Court, Jerry Hutch is the head of the Hutch family, well, he's probably top of the pile when it comes to the Kinnahans 
a hit list. So whether or not he will stay in town where his movements will be easily observed remains to be seen. He did start a new life for himself in Spain. It's from there that he was extradited back in 2021. So he may return uh, to Spain. Time will tell. Frank Grady, News Talks Courts Correspondent. Thanks a minute for chatting too. Let me explain. And you can check out Frank's own great podcast, Inside the Crime, where he's been examining the unsolved murder of Charles Self. That's available now on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. As Frank has said, lots and lots of questions arising out of this case, even within government. People wondering about what happened. I spoke to one senior government figure who was ruminating this. Without Jonathan Dowdle, the state actually didn't have all that much of a case for the proof of murder, so this was the only route it could have taken. It does mean that Derry Hutch is a free man and very likely already abroad. Don't forget to subscribe to Let Me Explain if you've enjoyed the podcast and share the episode far and wide. I'm Sean Defoe. The editor is John Kyo with Lachlan Hart on sound. And I'll chat to you next week.